I wasn't drinking vodka with my cornflakes. I just, you know, didn't want to wake up feeling like groggy or take chances driving my car home when I shouldn't have been driving at home or say things that I didn't entirely mean to people that I care about anymore, which is very easy to do. That's my choice. I wasn't a, a kind of like a urine-soaked tramp, like living under a bridge. I mean, you know, but I mean, just because I don't want to have that glass, just because I don't want to share three bottles of Chardonnay with you now, you know, it doesn't make me a, a pariah. Welcome to the tribe. This is your weekly podcast from Tribe Sober. Whether you're already sober, striving to be sober, or just plain sober curious, you need a tribe. You need a tribe because it's so hard to do this alone. You need a tribe because you need support. And that's where we come in. Here at Tribe Sober, we've got your back. Here at Tribe Sober, we have people at all stages of the journey, all helping each other to stay on track. On this podcast, we've got recovery stories to inspire you, experts to inform you, and plenty of advice on how to ditch the drink and change your life. So here's your host, tribe leader, Janet Gorond. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Tribe Sober Podcast, episode 159. My name is Janet Gorond. I'm the founder of Tribe Sober, and I'm your host for this podcast. Here at Tribe Sober, we help people to change their relationship with alcohol and then to go on and actually thrive in their alcohol-free lives. And over the last seven years, we've helped thousands of people to do just that. We created Tribe Sober because we know from experience that it's really hard to change your drinking habits alone. So at Tribe Sober, we're all about community. Each week, we feature a community voice just to give you a flavor of the awesomeness of our tribe. I think planning is really important. I, I find the journaling really valuable and I absolutely um, have immersed myself, less even now so, but in all the quick lit stuff, the reading, the podcasts, and obviously the neuroplasty side of it completely appealed to me. You know, I've been teaching, lecturing that for years and I've never applied it to myself and my daily drinking. So that's that's sort of like a, you know, revelation. Yeah. So if you'd like to join our warm and welcoming community, just go to tribesober.com and hit join our tribe. My guest this week is Ashley, who came to a workshop way back in 2018, and she's been thriving in her sobriety ever since. We still run those workshops, and if you'd like to learn more about them, please go to tribesober.com and hit our services. The next one is actually later today, 3.30 p.m. SA time. So if you want to join us, just WhatsApp me. You can find my WhatsApp link on the website. So let's get back to my guest, Ashley. I began our conversation by asking her to introduce herself. Okay, well, um, my name is Ashley and I live in Cape Town in uh, City Bowl. Luckily now, beautiful place. Um, I'm 40 years old. I'm currently in a relationship with a really amazing person. I, I'm a, I work in the arts. I own a, an art gallery, contemporary art gallery. 
So yeah, we work with artists from uh, Africa and and Southern Africa primarily, and and work with a number of kind of international museums. Awesome. Uh, so let's go back a bit, Ashley. When when did you first start thinking that maybe you were drinking a bit too much and you wanted to to change what was going on? I started experimenting with alcohol when I was very young. So actually, I probably should have been thinking about cutting down on my drinking when I was about 15. But uh, <laughs> um, following my first expulsion from school for drunk and disorderly behavior. But that was kind of a, yeah, that was just a, a blip, a precursor. It didn't really carry on strongly from there. But I think, I guess, I think for quite a long time, uh, probably, pro- probably from my kind of early 30s, I would have been thinking um, about kind of starting to like moderate my behavior. I mean, you come out of your 20s and clubbing and partying and cocktails and work events and everything. And and then I guess that, that kind of drinking, I mean, the, the glass after work and all of that stuff or, or going out or it just becomes this kind of habitual thing. So I, I think that there were signs, you know, that I probably should have begun to realize that they, that that alcohol was taking a bit of a too much of a center stage in my life. But of course, it's very easy for that to become justified because it's always a, you know, it's, it's very normal to be drinking at a wedding or a birthday or at a funeral or at a work function or at a baby shower. Maybe I shouldn't have had too much, so much to drink at that party or, you know, maybe I was a bit over the limit when I drove home that night or damn it, I left my phone in an Uber again or, you know, all of those little signs are all things, you know, that would have, you would have thought. Yeah, so and unfortunately it took me a few years to actually get, do something about it. Did you actually try to, did you do dry Januaries? And- you know, I always used to think, I mean, you read those those things about, oh, you're only supposed to have whatever you, it is that you're supposed to have, you know, like seven units of alcohol in a week. And like, yeah, yeah, you could have heard me like snorting in hysterics and rolling down the aisles. Because I mean, basically, that was me, you know, that was like one dinner, out, which I know I wasn't definitely wasn't alone in that. I mean, you go to a restaurant, and they give you a three glasses equivalent of what you're thinking is one glass of like real alcohol or whatever. But I did, yeah, I did once or twice. I did, I think I did it once. I don't know what it was. I think it was just sober October or one of these things. But I mean, really it was like knuckle. It was like white knuckling through the month and everyone you're doing with it, doing it with, you know, cause you obviously do it in a gang for mutual support is thinking, Oh my God, guys, I can't wait till we get to the end of this month so we can just go out and get smashed. And everyone's like, yes. <laughs> um, so it kind of defeats the purpose, but then you do those things and you think, ah, okay, well I can, go you know I can I can do that but I mean you you often you would find yourself thinking okay you know after a particularly heavy night or whatever or having gone out for dinner with friends and had you know two bottles of wine instead of one or three bottles instead of two uh you know between you the next morning you thinking to yourself oh god you know I can't believe it did that I can't believe we did that that was so silly you know we should have we should have stopped a little bit earlier and but at the time it always seems like a really great idea but and then you then comes the kind of oh I'm gonna you know I'll only drink on Wednesday I'll only drink on like Mondays and Wednesdays or I'm only gonna drink on the weekends or I'm only gonna drink when I go out f- with friends socially for dinner. The the fact that you're kind of giving yourself these 
ridiculous limitations or you're, you're, you're sort of self-policing. I mean, when, when you're at that stage, I kind of think, you know, that's when it should actually become apparent that if, it's, if you're spending this much mental energy on trying to, like, calibrate your behavior, then, you know, then it's, then it's an issue. But, it's, but, it, but it is, it's a very, like, sneaky thing because it's such a, it's a slippery fish. Yeah, and I mean, generally, by the but make these promises to myself on on Wednesday morning and whatever day it was, and then by kind of Wednesday five o'clock, you know, it's like, oh, well, really, you know, been a long day. Glass of wine would be nice with making supper. So it's yeah. it became it's it becomes a very it becomes a very difficult thing to um, to maintain. I mean, because it is especially for me as well in my work. You know, there's a lot of openings, a lot of social events, a lot of work. Very easy to finish work at five o'clock and have to go to some some kind of uh, exhibition opening, and before you know it, your promise of only drinking three nights a week or something is very quickly out the window. Well, we we do put all of those rules in place because we like to think that we're in trying to control it anyway, don't we? We like to think we're going to moderate, but in fact, you know, people that can moderate, they just moderate. Problem with drinking is that it becomes. You know, you might set yourself a rule, oh, I'll only have one glass of wine. Very easy to do. But then once you've had that first glass of wine, your ability to stick to your own rules is really much less yeah. great. You know, yeah, setting rules, I don't think, is a, is a workable option. You're listening to a podcast from Tribe Sober. Yeah. And in fact, when you analyze it, it's not the fourth or fifth glass of wine that's the problem. It's the first, you know, because how many people can stop after one glass of wine? You know, with this new legislation that's just been introduced about having a zero amount of alcohol in your blood when you're driving. And, you know, a lot of people are in an uproar about it. But to be honest, I mean, I really think that you're not actually after having one drink you are really not in a good your 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 decision making capacity however slightly impaired is impaired and you're far more likely to think oh i'll just have one more drink or i'm sure I've only one beer or two beers so i mean i really think that that as you say it is that that, that first drink is the, is the issue yeah. because it does no matter how slightly you may think it affects your ability to you know stick to your goals or think clearly about something it does actually affect you definitely yeah yeah i mean they can they can tell that they can study your brain and and see the changes and god forbid as a free south african citizen we should not be allowed to drink copious amounts of alcohol and get behind the wheels (laughs) of our cars i mean what an infringement on my democratic rights really (laughs) okay so tell me um how you heard about us and how you ended up pitching up at a workshop that's the first time we met, isn't it, I think? Yes, yes. I'm really so glad I came. Such a great thing. I mean, it's really, like, helped me change my life. Um, so I was actually just driving. T- I was in my car. I think I probably had a hangover. Was listening to Eusebius Mackay's uh, show. And I love Eusebius, and I'm so sad that he's no longer on Cape yeah, we all are. Because um, I miss his analytical and robust discussions um but he's somebody who i really respected and and respect and i you were on his show and i always had a lot of time for what he had to say um so when you came on i thought oh well this sounds cool um and hearing you speak on the radio about uh 
about the culture, not only drinking specifically, but about the culture of drinking that we have in South Africa, which is very problematic, actually. Um, you know, we're a, we're a nation of extremely heavy drinkers. And I, and you, rea- you realize that when you travel, you know, you realize that South African people drink differently to other people. Um, so speaking about the culture of drinking and also how kind of ingrained it is in our everyday lives and how just, you know, we just accept it as the norm and, and how many people are probably kind of like secretly thinking to themselves, Sheesh, you know, actually, I've really got to cut back, which is what I was feeling. Yeah. And, and also hearing about it from a, a non, from like a kind of more rational perspective, which again, because I liked Eusebius's show, I, what I really liked about his show was an, was his analytical perspective. And it wasn't uh, a discussion that was mired in the uh, emotional stigma almost that's att- attached to drinking or, or all these things you always hear about, you know, if somebody, if you want to stop drinking one, it's like, Oh my God, why do you want to stop drinking? What's wrong with you? And two, um, you know, it normally is accompanied by some kind of like happy, clappy, like esoteric nonsense. And it's just so off putting. And you think you're going to be surrounded by like people kind of, I don't know, in chunky jerseys waving dream cat. I don't know what, but I was just like, this sounds like a rational, logical, straight down the line, uh, informative problem solving activity that I can do that's that that will present the information to me in a rational way and I can decide whether or not I want to use that information or not so that's that's kind of why I came and I liked your logo and and did we uh, live up to those expectations yeah I thought so I did I did I I was surprised actually at at, at first, I mean, it was a bit, I mean, it obviously was a bit nerve-wracking. Um, again, I was reassured when I arrived at the podcast and you were wearing that very chic black and white striped jacket. And I was like, this is a woman I can listen to. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know what I mean? You know, art world bluesy. Um, <laughs> I guess because you just, you always have these terrible like ideas in your head of like what these things are going to be like, you know, there's kind of be like loads of people chain smoking around, I don't know, whatever, in a car park. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think it did. It was, a, it was a good presentation of kind of rational stuff. And I think it, it really kind of brought it home for me to see, to look at something from, one, a physiological perspective. So, you know, what is, what is the substance? What is it made out of? And what does it do to your brain? How does it affect your body? Um, this is a, a biological response that you're having to a substance, it's not necessarily that you have a, a defective personality or that you are psychologically unhinged because you've, you know, because this thing affects you like this. It's, this is how it's supposed to affect you. It is an addictive, like mind altering substance is doing what it's meant to do. So once you know how your body's reacting, you can maybe put systems in place to kind of counteract that. And so that was interesting. And then also I thought that the, the research side of stuff was quite good, like the you know the, the 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 reading material and things. I found that helped me a lot to be able to to research a problem because I guess that's how I also approach things in general. Um, and what, one thing that did surprise me actually was that that also freaked me out a little bit at the beginning was I really this whole idea of like sitting in like a circle and like sharing your feelings. I was just like, get me out of here, but. Um, 
but actually what I realized, and it wasn't really, it wasn't, it wasn't like that. It, but it, I mean, there was that aspect to it, but what I did realize was, and it's the corniest thing, but that people say over and over and over again, but a problem shared is a problem halved. Definitely. And I think that that is actually an essential thing because I think what had helped, what had kind of held me back from actually making this change a long time ago, which I should have done and it would have benefited me was a fear of like sharing this perceived problem or this like shortcoming of mine. Um, and then actually doing that and realizing it's not actually that uncommon and it suddenly became like so much easier to deal with. Yeah, I think the connection part is pretty vital, just knowing that you're not the only one with this problem. Because if you're, I was coaching a lady yesterday and she said, oh, all my friends are drinkers. You know, I don't know how I'm going to cope. I haven't got a single person in my circle, you know, that doesn't drink. Mm. So if you do come to something like that, at least, you know, in your address book, if you want them, you've got some sober buddies. You've always got someone you can talk to. And it makes you realize, you know, as you say, there's nothing wrong with you. It's just that some of us. I mean, 20% of the population will become addicted as the years go on, you know, will become dependent. When I was there, I, I actually, I was, I suddenly thought to myself, geez, I really wish I'd done this 10 years ago. Like, why did I not do this 10 years ago or five years ago or whatever, how many years ago? But, mm. um, but I also felt very grateful because there were quite a number of people there. I mean, there was a very big mixture of people and there were younger people as well and good for them. But I did look at some of the people that I could see were quite a lot older than me. And I was just thinking, I'm so ple- I am so glad I'm doing this now. I'm so glad I'm not doing this in 10 years. You're listening to a podcast from Tribe Sober. If you'd like to join our warm and welcoming community, just head on over to tribesober.com and hit the membership tab. That's www.tribesober.com. What did you kind of resolve at the end of the workshop? Were you going to try to go for 100 days or or forever? What were your plans? Do you remember? I was thinking, I think, wasn't it a, the first goal was 100 days, right? That was 100 days. Yeah, I think we suggested that probably. Yeah, so I think I was going to do that. I know you also said, said there in the workshop, you, was, you said, you know, you can, <clears throat> there were some people who, came and they were like listen you know I'm not ready to quit drinking completely like this isn't really for me like I really feel like I can still get a handle on this and I'm going to take what I've learned here and go away and sort of moderate my behavior and I said to myself there's no chance that's going to happen for me like I need to actually do this like full throttle otherwise I'm not gonna otherwise I'm back to square one and why did I even come here in the first yeah yeah well good for you (laughs) And in fact, most of those people <laughs> have failed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so, yes, I think 100 days was the first goal, and um, it was pretty tricky. I mean, I remember I had a really hardcore work schedule uh, after that meeting. I mean, not not terrible, but, again, like a, 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 a lot of cocktail events and things like that, um, and late nights and all of that. But yeah, it was, it was okay. I mean, I think with the, the kind of toolbox, uh, the, you know, a lot of re- learning, reading the literature, taking a step back from a, a kind of analytical perspective and saying, you know, this is my body. My body is a living organism. I now understand that the thing that I've, the, 
been wondering why I've been feeling like sick and tired and got bags under my eyes and you know all of these things oh wow you know it's because I'm drinking like three glasses of poison a day oh you know so (laughs) um I think having the being equipped with that knowledge and then also reading about other people's experiences and then as you say just changing simple like simple habits you know I mean my habit at the time was to like finish work come home open a bottle of wine and sit down at my desk for another three hours which I, which I stopped doing completely and the world didn't fall apart because I wasn't spending an extra three hours a day doing emails. But what didn't fall apart was me. I didn't fall apart, you know, because if I had carried on doing that, I would have, I mean, maybe not in two years or three years, but definitely in five years or seven years. So I think, yeah, changing, just, just following the, the thing and changing some habits. Yeah. Breathing deeply. So, so you reached your hundred days, and then you, did you just decide to continue? Yeah, I did. I, I did. It was working well, and I also didn't want to go back to square one again. You know, once you've done mm. that, and also, you know, it's the same thing. It's sort of like when you've stopped. I did it when I used to smoke, and actually, one of the reasons I was also desperate to quit smoking, and I realized I couldn't quit smoking unless I quit drinking, which was also one of the reasons I came to work. I mean, it was a combined reason, but it was just the the, the um, but it's that same thing of the smoker who quits smoking, which I've done a million times before. And then you, you're like, I don't, I'm over smoking. I don't need a cigarette. Jeez, I haven't even wanted a cigarette for like a month. Okay. Let me just have a drag and test myself. And I'm just going to, I can be fine. And then, then you're like back again, you know, you're back when you started. So I just thought yeah. rather, and I was saving a, a lot of money. So how, how does one survive in the art world without alcohol? At first, it was it was a little bit difficult, but now I actually find that I I relish it. I like it. I I I prefer it. I feel. I mean, it's the times that it gets you really. I think is is you know, especially when you you also start to realize that you use this thing as, and it's totally obvious that you use it as a kind of pick me up. You know, especially if you you've been on your feet for like hours talking to people all day especially at these conferences that we do um you know you've been non-stop for like 10 hours and you still got another three to go you know you think that's when you need that little like pick me up I think sometimes um and there is a reason that the organizers of these conferences start wheeling around carts at exactly that time (laughs) because they know everyone's a little bit flat in general, I feel like now it's actually a blessing. I feel like I enjoy my conversations with people much more, uh, much more present. The only thing that obviously does become tiresome is that, you know, you are not, after a certain point in the evening, you are really not on the same planet as everyone else. Um, so it does make it difficult to go to the after events events, you know, whereas before you would have been like running down the streets of London with your stilettos in your hand going where's the next party you you now kind of uh thinking um okay i'll see you all tomorrow but that's actually fine you know as one of the artists i work with says nothing good ever happens after 10 o'clock whole idea of like making million pound deals in the dark moody corners of underground bars is a complete myth 
yeah, so in general, I think it's all a, all a big improvement. And have you found anything else to give you that pick-me-up, as you call it? I know exactly what you mean. When you get to that stage in the day, I mean, what, what do you have now? Do you use alcohol-free drinks? or Over the last year and a half, I, I developed a bit of a bad sugar habit, which I've actually just kicked. I've just lost 10 kilograms. Well done. Um, but I, at the, you know, when I first stopped, I was like, you know what? I'm having that hot chocolate. I don't care. I'm having it, and I'm going to have a biscuit on the side. Um, and uh, so I think I was doing. Yeah, I was drinking. Uh, I was probably drinking. I wasn't drinking alcohol-free drinks. I was drinking more like tonic waters and. But more, I'm more of a coffee and cake girl. I think. I think you're quite right to spoil yourself a little bit when you when you first give up because you know you can't win on all fronts and even if you put on a few pounds if you've ditched the drink you know eventually that will that will help you to lose weight. Well done on those ten kgs. It shows actually. Did, did people put pressure on you? What about? Tell me about your partner. I've got a feeling he doesn't drink. He actually has stopped as well. He stopped as well. I mean, he yeah. he was never a heavy drinker at all. Um, compared to like me and the gals um he wasn't in your league <laughs> so he but he did you know you have to have the kind of you know the, I think he actually probably ended up drinking a bit more because I drank more but um yeah but n- not a heavy drinker by any stretch of the imagination but he stopped completely to to help me when I came home from work he wasn't having a beer and I wouldn't feel like I wanted one or whatever which I thought was very very kind and sensitive and I've felt very lucky because I, I think a lot of the people that I saw in your workshop, you know, one of their main issues that they seemed to bring up mm-hmm. was that they were in a relationship where their, their change in their behavior wouldn't be accepted and that it wouldn't be supported. And I mean, I couldn't even imagine how difficult it would be not only to change your own behavior, but to also fight that uphill battle with someone that you lived with. I mean, so I felt very fortunate there. And yeah, he's... Uh, decided actually you know this is pretty great I mean our family thinks it's quite strange to be honest I mean they're all kind of raising their eyebrows at us over the lunch table um like oh what's going on there I mean you get over it because it's just you know it's my life and I'm doing what I want to do but you know I want to roll my eyes when I get these kind of sideways glances you know like oh so you're not having a glass of wine oh you know what does that mean somebody's been a naughty girl and uh, I just think to myself, I wasn't drinking vodka with my cornflakes. I just, you know, didn't want to wake up feeling like groggy or take chances driving my car home when I shouldn't have been driving at home or say things that I didn't entirely mean to people that I care about anymore, which is very easy to do. That's my choice. I wasn't a, a kind of like a urine-soaked tramp, like living under a bridge. I mean, you know, but I mean, just because I don't want to have that glass, just because I don't want to share three bottles of Chardonnay with you now, you know, it doesn't make me a, a pariah. Every Saturday afternoon, we open up our Tribe Sober Zoom Cafe. It's a safe space where our members can connect, check in, and just shoot the breeze about alcohol-free living. If you'd like to be a guest at the cafe one Saturday, just drop us an email at Janet at tribesober.com. That's Janet, J-A-N-E-T, at tribesober.com, and we'll send you an invitation.
But I think the longer one goes on with this uh, journey, then the less interested people get. You know, they just kind of think, oh, well, <laughs> she's still doing her thing. Never mind. <laughs> she seems quite happy with it. And to be honest, I mean, you don't, you don't realize, but like most people, by the time they've had even one drink, they are actually quite, yeah, they're quite different. So they don't really remember. They don't really notice much. Yes, but we do, don't we? The non-drinkers, we become very observant. <laughs> I know, you've got to kind of hold your tongue at times, you know. I, I never judge, but I do watch. <laughs> yeah, I can't judge. No judging here. No judging. I'm, no, I've no, we, we've been there, done that. Not to be judging anybody. So if you had to summarise in a few sentences, I, I know we've touched on it, but what, what benefits do you, would you say that alcohol-free life has brought you? I think... At the time that I decided to stop drinking, I had really, I think I'd put a lot of strain on my personal relationship, my main, my primary personal relationship with my boyfriend, just, you know, him, as I said, not being a, a heavy drinker and myself being the opposite. Um, so I think the biggest and most meaningful change there, and which was the one that I was most motivated to make, was to preserve that, to, to get that relationship on right footing again um which i think that that's been i think my personal relationships are better yeah maybe a little bit more balanced in my my work in a way because i had to take my foot off the gas a little bit in order to remove that that stressor you know to remove the trigger to to want to like calm my anxieties with alcohol i needed to reduce some of those anxieties do you think uh, not drinking has reduced your anxiety a bit? Definitely, yeah. And also I think, you know what's so quite interesting, what I found very soon afterwards is that people often th say that they drink alcohol to give them confidence. And I did sometimes do that myself. You know, if I was at a whatever, some kind of fancy or important dinner and I had to meet fancy and important people, you know, you maybe have a drink beforehand and you think, okay, well, it'll help me to break the ice. And actually at many of those functions, the first thing they do is give you a drink when you walk in the door, because that's exactly what they want to do is break the ice and make people more comfortable mm. with each other. But I definitely found that not drinking has given me a lot more confidence and, and, and a much more, um, a calmer and a much more genuine confidence yeah, that's wonderful, Ashley. And it's a, a lovely kind of payback because we do lose the highs, don't we? We lose that buzz we used to chase all the time. But in return, I, I think you do get, as you say, calmness, confidence, and it's a, it's a different kind of joy, isn't it? It's so strange and because you think like all the things you used to do, you're like, okay, I'm anxious, so I'm going to drink. I'm, I'm, I'm not feeling confident, so I might have a drink or I you know, whatever it is. And then you realize actually, oh, I'm tired. So I'm going to pick myself up, you know, at like the five o'clock in the afternoon when I've got to work till 8.30 or whatever. But you actually realize all of the opposites are true. So, you know, alcohol makes you tired. It makes you anxious. It makes you nervous. So uh, we've, we've touched on this a little bit about, you know, the pressure and the role of alcohol in society, you know, especially in this country. It's so prevalent. It's so normalized. We're all, what's that expression that I like? Alcohol is the only drug we have to justify not taking. And we're considered a little bit odd if we don't drink. What are your thoughts on that? Do you think it will change? Do you see any trends coming of younger people not drinking? 
I think it is. I think it is changing. I mean, I, I don't think it's it's changing, but it's just so it's so desperately embedded into every single thing we do. It's like it's that when you're not doing it, you realize, wow. I mean, I went to a friend of mine's wedding, which I mean, weddings weddings are a, once you've crossed a wedding, an international flight an international delay in a really dodgy airport with another long international flight followed following directly after it. Um, you know, what, there are a number of kind of big things to pass through, but I mean, I went to this wedding and I, you know, one of my best friends and everyone was having a great time. And, and I, because I wasn't drinking, I mean, I was having like a fabulous time, you know, I was, uh, you know, on the dance floor, it was like my first time, you know, at a wedding, I was going to say, you know, can I do this? Can I have fun? And I did. And it was great. And I loved it. And then we had uh, a, a lunch, you know, a few days later to find out, you know, just to catch up and because the, the person who was uh, getting married was going back overseas. And I just speaking to everyone else about their experience of the event just made me realize how damaging this thing is because I half of the people who are supposed to be like really good friends of this person didn't remember most of the stuff that actually happened or, the, or what they their experience of was completely different lots of them like left the wedding early so they could go off and like I don't know go to a bar or like you know they just they weren't themselves really you know they wouldn't have if they were themselves they wouldn't have thought oh it'll be really fun for me to go to a club and take coke right now my best friends you know and these are like 38 year old people i mean they're like they're not like teenagers and i mean i just i mean and then it was you know another event like going to someone's baby shower and you know also the booze comes out and everything changes or you know even like a funeral and, you know, the people decide to serve only tea as opposed to wine. And like, you know, people don't stick around to, to console the family. Like they're kind of out of there. Or you have, I just, it just becomes so apparent how, how insidious this thing is. It's got its claws into everything. There are so many people. I know so many people that I would definitely say have an alcohol dependency problem. Definitely. Like the, actually the majority of people I know, and I think what stops people is, well, first of all, you know, they know there's an issue there, but they don't really know how to deal with it. And they don't want to go and sit with people in chunky jumpers or, or smoking car parks. You know, they, they, they see those as the only kind of solutions. And the other thing that stops people, you mentioned it as well, is uh, they don't want people to think that they've got a problem with alcohol. Crazy that the stigma is, is there, isn't it? That's actually, Janet, sorry, to get back to your question, that's what bothers me actually the most. I mean, I really have a bee in my bonnet about this, is the fact that, like, spend your whole life, or not your whole life, but maybe from the age of 15, 16, 17, 18, or whenever it is that you start drinking alcohol, you drink this stuff that people give you at every social occasion, at every birth, death, whatever it is. Then when you drink this, you take this addictive actually what is in a drug you take an addictive drug at all of these different occasions on a day almost on a, almost on a daily basis then when you become addicted to the drug that you've been so happily being spoon-fed for years and years and years everyone's like what's wrong with you yeah yeah, yeah. you're like actually there's nothing wrong with me you know this is like a completely normal physiological reaction to an organic substance and it's like 
And I also think, I mean, people, but the problem is because actually on some level, I think almost everyone is actually a little bit addicted. Um, there's this, you know, no one really wants to let the cat out of the bag here. Yeah, just how pervasive the the, yeah. the problem is. And I mean, if I had a penny for how many times I've, n- I've seen people who've been, you know, out of something the night before or behaved maybe in a way that definitely wasn't appropriate or whatever, and everyone sort of, you know, skitters over the issue and goes, oh, you know, you had a little bit too much to drink. No, you didn't have a little bit too much to drink. You were absolutely blotto. And I'm sure you felt like total rubbish this morning. You know, like the this whole, you know, the kind of niceties and euphemisms and cover-ups and cocktails for dinner, wine with dinner, aperitif after, followed by port. No, that's just drinking multiple variations of alcohol over an extended period of time. That's like cloaked in a in a, a veil of social etiquette. That's another thing you say, what do I, what's been a great thing about giving up alcohol is that I really enjoy my food when I go out to a oh. restaurant now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think um, we should end on that, that rather optimistic note that you, uh, yeah, enjoy your food and you've lost 10 kgs. I mean, how fabulous yes, is that? Yes, what a win. What a win. <laughs> So well done, Ashley, and thank you so much for your time. You're a star. Thank you, Janet. Thanks for everything. Thanks for um, yeah, changing my life and helping all the other people that you help. Thank you so much for the share, Ashley. I just love your description of alcohol as a slippery fish. It certainly is. Let's pull out a few key points from that conversation. Ashley's first scrape with alcohol came when she was expelled from school at the age of 15. Fast forward to her 30s when she recognised that there could be a problem when she found herself making lots of rules around the drinking. Rules that she promptly broke. That is such a red flag. If you find yourself making rules about when you're going to drink and when you're not going to drink and how much you're going to drink, then take it from me, it's time to make a change. Ashley made the point that she wasn't a tramp living under a bridge and that highlighted the fact that society says we're fine until we are a tramp living under the bridge. That means that millions of people don't get to address their alcohol dependency when in fact they should. Even though Ashley's family were rather mystified, she decided to step off that slippery slope before things got any worse. As she got more observant, she realised that the majority of the people she knew were drinking too much and they didn't even realise. At the workshop, Ashley learnt about the toxicity of alcohol and began to join the dots. The dots between her constant tiredness and her three glasses of wine. At the end of the workshop, she knew it would be pointless committing to moderation. She had to go all in. She knew she'd crossed the line with her drinking and there would be no going back. She felt confident leaving the workshop. She had her toolkit, some new information and people to connect with. She felt that she could really do this. At the beginning, she treated herself to hot chocolate, coffee and cake. But as time went on, she weaned herself off the sweet things and she's now lost 10 kgs. Well done, Ashley. 
She talked about the importance of sober firsts, the first wedding, the first flight, the first baby shower, and of course the first time we try sober dancing. Ashley has experienced so many benefits of sobriety, and she is certainly less anxious and more confident these days. The workshop was a real turning point in Ashley's life. At the age of 43, she celebrated five years of sobriety and she has a completely different future ahead of her. She talks about the majority of people that are drinking too much and they don't even realise it. And she mentions all the euphemisms that we use for hangovers and how no one wants to let the cat out of the bag, as she puts it. No one wants to acknowledge that as a society, we have an alcohol problem. And as for Ashley, she fully recognises that if she hadn't taken this step, she could have been in a very different place in five years' time. Alcohol is a very slippery fish, as she said. So thank you, Ashley, for all those insights. And let me end with a message from one of our chat rooms. This one's from Barry in Scotland. I had a slip-up over Easter, and I've been reflecting a lot on why it happened. I recognised feelings of despondency for about a fortnight before. A feeling of not having a purpose. It came from nowhere. But I was listening to a podcast this morning that was talking about how when you drink, you get used to the drama, the highs and the lows from drinking, and then recovering from the drinking. And so a more peaceful and consistent life can seem boring. It helped me to think about the adjustment. I had managed to reach a hundred days and it's about giving myself time. Yes, Barry, we do get used to the drama, don't we? The chemical highs and the miserable lows when we drink. So life might seem relatively quiet when we stop drinking, but hang in there, Barry. The magic will happen. Remember that Martin Luther King quote, Take the first step on the staircase, even if you can't see where it leads. It's all about having faith. There are so many people in Tribe Sober who've climbed that staircase and they're now thriving in their sobriety. So if you'd like to join our community and start climbing those stairs, just go to tribesober.com and hit join our tribe. That's it from me. Thanks for listening and I'll be back next week. Ditching the drink is like climbing a mountain. It's hard, it takes courage and grit, and an experienced guide. And that's where we come in. Here at Tribe Sober, we've climbed that mountain and we know the view from the top is amazing. We've used our experience to put together a unique membership program that will support you all the way. We've got challenges, chat rooms, sober buddies, trackers, and milestone awards. And that's just for starters. So head on over to tribesober.com and check out our membership program. It's the essential resource for anyone looking to ditch the drink and change their life.